Hello everybody, I am Lucia Matuonto and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin! The RV Book Fair Special presents three great authors who will engage you with captivating stories and insights into their books. Hello, my name is Kaylee Boisvert. I am the author of Make Money Your Thing, which is a nonfiction novel all about building confidence and feeling empowered in your financial life. And I also wrote a children's picture book called Money Wise Mabel's Bursting Bank. And it's about a little girl learning about money. And so first, I want to share just an article that I wrote um, that's really specifically about my journey with writing and actually getting started and some of the, the fear that showed up for me. Um, so I called it Showing Up and Writing On, Navigating Doubt, Embracing Passion, and Unveiling the Writer Within. One day, while seated in my office, I blurted out a dream that's been with me since my teenage years, but I've never dared to voice. I want to write something. I wasn't exact, exactly sure what that something entailed, but my lifelong passion for books encouraged me to put it out there. Books occupy every inch of my home. They've staked their claim all over, on nightstands, countertops, the couch, my bed, and of course my office too. The idea of being locked away in a bookstore for days on end fills me with pure delight especially if there was a cozy coffee shop nestled inside. Just catching a glimpse of a book has an instant mood-lifting effect on me. It's almost magical. Knowing that an endless supply of stories awaits is enough to spark a sense of excitement that borders on sheer giddiness for me. But the possibility of actually writing a book has always seemed beyond my grasp. I harbored a fear that the gift of writing had eluded me. Years of feedback seemed to confirm this, continually echoing my perceived inadequacy. In my early school days, I would craft thrilling stories that refused to conclude, eagerly anticipating my teacher's assessments, only to receive minimal input and realize they had likely stopped reading by about page five. Even during university, my enthusiasm for an English course, a creative divergence from my business studies, was met with a disappointing C-, minus, my lowest grade ever. So, there it was, crystal clear, my fate was in reading, not writing. The whole author club seemed out of my reach. While disheartening as it was, I accepted this reality, channeling my efforts into the realm of numbers, because math, it definitely was my thing. But on that one day, when I took the chance to say out loud my writing secret, that I had been holding in for my entire adult life, a realization hit me. Nobody gets to decide if I'm worthy of writing. I can write because I want to, no permission required. In that moment, I made a pact. No more hiding parts of myself just because they might not be good enough. I committed to writing. The most challenging aspect, I wish I could say, was just voicing my desire to write. But my entire journey 
was anything but smooth sailing. A much more fitting analogy would be navigating wild rapids. I've been knocked down countless times on this journey, faced rejections in the hundreds, yes, hundreds. I've been tempted to give up. I've felt like an outsider, undeserving of the title writer. Yet, within these moments, a smaller inner voice persists, urging me to continue on, to keep doing what I'm doing, to show up as a writer despite the odds. And so, I keep showing up. I show up because I understand that outcomes and other people's reactions are beyond my control. Whether my writing is loved or hated, I cannot change an opinion. What I do control is my own actions. And yielding to defeat would be a choice to do nothing at all. So, the book I ended up writing, a money book, of course, but not just any money book. My goal was to create a money book that would make the reader feel like they're having a fun chat with a friend. Making money fun, a bit of a challenge for someone with a limited writing experience like myself, I know, but I dove in anyway. I started with an outline plopped down on my bed, which had more creative vibe than my desk, and got down to business. The first go at my chapters, honestly, it was terrible, but I learned that's part of the writing gig. It's a process, a journey of revisions and do-overs. Writing yanked me out of my comfort zone. It was a mix of fun and frustration. There were days I wanted to quit. After all, who would know? At one point, I even set my manuscript aside for a month, but I circled back because I had to finish it. Teenage me deserved to see my dream through, so I stuck with it, continuing to show up at my bed desk, even when I had no clue what to write. Somehow, words came, and just like money grows through investing, my manuscript compounded, and eventually, Make Money Your Thing was born. Looking back, I'm so proud of how far I've come, proud that I didn't give up and that I just kept showing up. It's built a confidence and belief that I can do anything I set out to do. And I've learned I don't just have to stick to doing what I'm already good at. I can wander into uncharted territory, even if it makes my stomach churn. If my story finds you at a crossroads on your own writing journey, I hope you realize that if the dream's there, it's within your grasp. Yes, it'll be awkward, uncomfortable, and maybe even painful at times, but that's all part of the package. Just keep showing up, because when you do, you unlock a realm of possibilities that you never dared to imagine. And now I want to share a bit of an excerpt from my book, Make Money Your Thing, So it's part of chapter 12, and chapter 12 is called Spend Some Time With Your Money and Go on a Money Date. I've spent a fair bit of my adult life in the dating game looking for the one. I was an early adopter of online dating, attended speed dating events, allowed myself to be set up on several blind dates, and took my trips to the bars with friends extra seriously by spending hours curling my hair. Unfortunately, nothing came from those efforts other than an array of comedic material about how bad a first date can truly be. I can look back now and laugh about those encounters and share the age-appropriate stories with my daughter. 
her favorite being the greedy pizza guy that ate the entire pie to himself. Yes, that's right. He didn't share a single piece with me. But I would be lying if I said these disastrous dates didn't leave me with an overall negative and hopeless view on dating. And it was likely that bias that led me to the period I stayed in for several years, which I called the avoidance phase. At that time, I had a lot on my plate anyway as a single parent and building my business, so saying I didn't have the time was an easy cover-up. During those years, I gave absolutely zero time and attention to finding a partner or being in a romantic relationship. And what did my non-existent effort result in? You guessed it, being perpetually single. And I'm talking really, really single. Not even one disastrous first date to speak of during those years. I've done a lot of personal development work since then, and I know now that if I truly want to find that special someone, I cannot avoid dating, relationships, and love. Finding a partner starts by being open and giving that part of my life time and attention. It means seeing the possibilities rather than burying myself under a pile of excuses. And just like I hid from my love life, I see women take a similar approach when it comes to their relationship with their money. They enter into their own period of avoidance, but in this case, it's the money avoidance phase. They defend this choice with valid excuses, not unlike the ones I had given when it came to dating. Have you ever found yourself avoiding the topic of money? Maybe you've had good intentions to try, but had some disappointing first experiences akin to my first date. Perhaps you enrolled in a course or read a personal finance book, but it didn't really resonate with you. Searched for a financial professional to work with, but couldn't find the right fit. Attempted investing on your own, but then gave up after seeing all the investment options. Or opted to delete it from the to-do list when life got too busy. Avoidance is an easy solution to any tricky topic, especially money, which, like finding love, can be uncomfortable overwhelming and stressful. But if you have dreams for your future, ignoring your money will not get you any closer to achieving them. Neglecting your money will not progress you toward your end goals. In fact, it may actually take you further away from them as your money erodes away from from inflation. Paying attention will help you achieve the unshakable money confidence that is needed when money is your thing. It's about taking initiative checking in on your cash, making adjustments where needed, and celebrating successes. Unfortunately, the avoidance tactics play out all too often where people give very little or no time to their money. You exert so much of your precious energy into making money, most of you probably spend upward of 40 hours per week earning money the majority of your waking hours, but do you spend any time working on your money? With how much of yourself you give to earning it, doesn't that give your money right to rank high on your list of priorities? Doesn't it deserve your time and attention? Hi, my name is Jeremiah Gilbert. I'm a college professor and award-winning photographer and travel writer based out of Southern California. I thought I'd share a bit about myself and what led to my becoming a travel writer after decades as a photographer. My father wasn't a traveler. For one, he feared flying, meaning that the few vacations we took in my youth were long crawls across many states and whatever secondhand car we owned at the time. 
He also didn't like to spend money, so we'd stay in whichever motel had both a vacancy and was cheapest. I recall one particular budget motel in Houston. We'd been driving all day and arrived late, so we all went straight to sleep. The next morning, in the light of day, we noticed the swarm of cockroaches in the bathtub and made for a quick departure. My father was determined that he didn't want to spend another night in Texas, which meant another long driving day as we were heading west along Interstate 10. My mother and I agreed on the condition that we chose that night's accommodation. I assume this contributed to my being a late bloomer when it comes to travel. That and the fact that one doesn't make much on an adjunct professor's salary. I started teaching straight out of grad school. In order to make ends meet, I had a certain number of classes I had to teach, which meant teaching at multiple colleges and always teaching summers. I did this for several years before landing a full-time teaching position, which I still hold. Suddenly, my health care insurance was paid for and summer teaching was optional. Travel, here I come. Where to first? Tibet, of course, where I was able to spend my 35th birthday on the Great Wall of China before flying from Beijing to Lhasa and exploring the Patala Palace. I'd heard the train through Mexico's Copper Canyon was quite an experience, so that was next. This was followed by Peru, as I've always had a love of ruins and lost cities, and Machu Picchu doesn't disappoint. Once I'd reached five countries, ten didn't seem out of reach. After ten, twenty. And after twenty, fifty. When travel came to a standstill in 2020, I decided to try my hand at writing a series of travel tales about my experiences. I'd been photographing since high school, back when the only option was film, and had been sharing my photos online since the beginning of my travels. However, I had never really written about them. With these travel tales, I tried to focus on memorable occasions and interesting occurrences. I included 50 of them as I was turning 50 the following year. That collection, Can't Get Here From There, 50 Tales of Travel, came out at the end of 2020, and I found myself a published travel writer. The title comes from early 2020, when my wife was in Beijing, and there was a time where we weren't sure we'd be able to get her home. Several panicked international calls later, we finally did get her here from there, though a few weeks later than planned. Having enjoyed the experience of writing about my travels, I soon began work on a follow-up entitled From Tibet to Egypt, Early Travels After a Late Start. Using my travel journals as inspiration, this collection covers my first few years of travel, including Asia, Central America, the Southern Caucasus, the Western Balkans, and North Africa. Rather than the short tales of my first collection, this one explored full trips from my early days of travel, including how I met my Chinese wife while adventuring in Tunisia. Soon after that book's release, a wonderful thing happened. One could resume traveling. While I thoroughly enjoyed writing about my past travels, I was eager to get back on the road. Despite some hiccups, returning to travel was enjoyable after over two years of cancellations and credits. The first trip canceled in 2020 was to Fiji and New Zealand. 
but I was able to cancel the Fiji hotel and the day trips I had booked. The flights to Fiji and New Zealand received credits along with our New Zealand tour. The next trip to be canceled was to Peru. This would have been my wife's first time there and seen my return after 15 years. It's a beautiful country and I was eager to return with more photographic knowledge. For this one, the flights were refunded, but the deposit for the tour was given as a credit. At this point, I created a spreadsheet to keep track of all these credits. For a brief moment near the end of 2020, it seemed some travel options were becoming available. So we booked a resort in St. Lucia in November that we would never have been able to afford otherwise. But the airline had other ideas as the flights were canceled, though thankfully refunded. This gave me the idea to start traveling locally. St. Lucia is replaced in November with a stay at a winery in Temecula. However, a stay in Palm Springs in December was delayed when California entered a second lockdown as intensive care units reached capacity. Likewise, a January trip to Claremont was canceled. However, that hotel offers a credit instead of a refund, so one more item for my spreadsheet. Things began to improve by early February 2021, so we spent a weekend in La Jolla, again at a hotel we usually couldn't afford. Typically, I'm just looking for a bed and a shower. Now I'm looking for rooms with sitting areas, as we may need to dine in with some local takeaway. In fact, our first meal in La Jolla was from an Indian takeaway. Our previous Palm Springs trip is moved to March, where everything is handled through text messages with the owner of the property we're staying at. April sees a wedding anniversary spent in Santa Monica and an Art Deco hotel I'd always wanted to stay at, while July saw us using our Claremont credit for a birthday weekend. There's no thought of international travel until 2022. Even then, I waited until May to plan our first trip out of the country, as things still seem to be changing monthly. We began our return to travel with Fiji, figuring it was appropriate as that was the first trip canceled in 2020. Our flight credit was also about to expire, so it was also something I could remove from my spreadsheet. All this gave me the idea of my latest book, documenting a return to travel after two years away and the changes that have occurred during this time. Unlike my first two collections, this one is about my current rather than past travels, and it's also the first one to include my photography. Its title, On to Plan C, comes from our summer in Europe last year, being our third attempt at travel that summer. Plan A was sailing up the west coast of Africa. After that was canceled, Plan B was a northern European cruise that included three days in St. Petersburg but Russia's invasion of Ukraine brought an end to that trip as well. While the world has opened back up to travel, it's still subject to change. Hi everyone, welcome. I'm Antonia Gabrielle, author of Back to One and the Back to One series of novels, telling the story of the lives of two remarkable individuals. This series of six novels and three play scripts was published and released by my amazing publisher, Hidden Shelf Publishing House. Now, finding a first-class publisher is a story in itself, and you can read all about it on my website at www.antoniagavrielle.com. That's A-N-T-O-N-I-A, 
G-A-D, like in victory, R-I-H-E-L, dot com. In more detail, Back to One, the first novel released in 2021, is a story of Catherine Lee and Kyle Weston, who appear to have the perfect friendship, deep, lasting, and platonic. Friendship without sex? The world of gossip doesn't buy it. You see, Kate is beautiful, trusting, and married. Kyle is single, charming, and a handsome movie star with a tabloid reputation. Their bond may be magical and honest, but will the boundaries they have created to protect their friendship ultimately destroy it? Now, Back to One, Take Two, Ambient Light was released in September 2022. Ambient Light continues Kate and Kyle's journey in Hollywood, building careers to new heights while striving to have everyday lives. The public's interest in the two friend has intensified, becoming more invasive and dangerous. Exclusive bonus, the first complimentary play script, Way Down, contained in this main novel, draws audiences into Kate and Kyle's professional world of acting. Back to One Take 3, Cinema Verite, was released in May of 2023. In Cinema Verite, Kate and Kyle's past disrupts their present. Kate and Kyle must confront past ghosts when their idyllic life is threatened. But how do best friends fight an unrelenting evil? Or is the real enemy lodged deep within each of them? Once again, exclusive bonus, continuing as a sequel to Way Down, the second play script, Dangerous Type, pushes our heroes to their creative limits. Book four, Back to One, Take Four, Slating Magic Hour, will be released in the spring of 2024 with its own play script, Wonderwall, followed by books five and six in 2025 and 2026. These novels have won numerous prestigious writing awards and have drawn a vast popular fan base. Kate and Kyle may be the most relatable, engaging characters. Despite their glamorous careers, they are genuine, complex people who value family and devotion to each other. To give you a taste of these exciting stories, I'd like to read a snippet of each one for your enjoyment, beginning with chapter one in the first novel, Back to One. Chapter one, this, my friend, is the beginning. Catherine nervously fidgeted in her cocktail dress, her jaw tightening. Some escort, she quietly grumbled, no surprise there. Catherine tried not to glare as her brother seamlessly wandered away from her and into the herd of partiers. Uncomfortably alone, she suddenly felt as if she were trapped inside a movie. The opulent mansion, the who's who of Hollywood. The place was so surreal it was almost cliché. Catherine's brother, a charismatic, high-powered entertainment attorney, could work the room. Edward was brilliant at making connections. He also had a talent for engaging business associates in meaningful conversations while slyly scoping the room for desirable women. Such a dashing player, Catherine mused, ever confident as he orchestrated the ballroom. Folding the matching wrap she had taken off her shoulders, Catherine spotted a group of young, attractive women surrounding a man who was partially blocked from her sight by an ice sculpture in the center of the ballroom. 
Catherine craned her neck to get a better look. My God, she thought, that's Kyle Weston. She counted three women nudging for position, each obviously bent on capturing the famous actor's attention. No doubt their charming smile hit each wannabe's deep contempt for the opposition. With an amused grin, Catherine focused on Kyle as he brushed back his shaggy brown hair from his eyes. He may have been approaching 40, but he certainly was the hottest man in the room. Catherine moved a bit closer to the conversation. Although he seemed to be politely listening, offering an occasional smile or nod, the distant look on his face revealed a desire to be somewhere else. Catherine could relate to escape. Why did she agree to attend this ridiculous party? She didn't belong here. She never did. Sharply, Kyle glanced towards Catherine, catching her staring at him. She quickly looked away. Leaving the ballroom, she walked out to the open deck, the fresh air cool to her face. Having shaken his three admirers with some lame excuse he had already forgotten, Kyle weaved through the crowd to the corner of the bar. Shove us some water, he yelled above the roar of music and chatter, pointed at the bottle on the bar shelf. The bartender poured liberally. As Kyle placed the glass to his lips, he glanced out at the deck overlooking the gardens. Somewhere to avoid the insanity, he said to himself. With a drink in hand, he headed to the deck for a moment of peace. The night air was immediately uplifting. On the far side of the deck, Kyle saw a woman holding onto the railing as she gazed out into the night. Catherine was fascinated by the lights in the garden, dancing across the water of the fountain. It was hypnotic. It's chilly out tonight, a voice startled her. Kyle reached out his hand to her. Hi, I'm Kyle Weston. Catherine was stunned. Kyle Weston talking to her? <laughs> now this place was even more surreal as she tried to compose herself. Yes, hello. I'm Catherine Miller. She took his hand. Something stirred within Kyle at her touch. Yes, her sensuous brown hair and deep brown eyes were incredibly perfect, but there was something else about her. A soft shyness. The beautiful face of someone out of place. He held her hand for a moment longer than was appropriate. He felt oddly boyish. It's nice to meet you. You look so familiar. Have we met? <laughs> Sorry, that came off like a line, didn't it? Catherine tried to hide her smile. I'm not normally at a loss for words, he finally said, a wave of self-consciousness only upon him. But seriously, have we met? I'm sure I would have remembered meeting you, Mr. Weston. Sorry, but this is so strange. He laughed a little at himself. <laughs> like I said... You look so familiar. Would you like to sit and talk? Catherine fought back her timidity. I'm flattered, she said. Actually, how do I say this graciously? If this is a pickup while I'm married. Kyle lifted his head and smiled. Please don't get me wrong. It's just that nobody talks to anyone at these events. It's all about working the room to see who might benefit their career. Believe me, I'm not the way the... I'm not a... a player, she remarked. Wasn't going to say that. He gritted his teeth with an uneasy smirk. Feeling awkward was novel, he realized. Anyway, don't believe the tabloids. Once in a while, I like to have a real conversation. 
Now, I'm afraid everything's coming out as if it's scripted. It's difficult to say what I mean. Kyle steadied himself. So would you like to talk? And what do you want to talk about? Life, the weather, you? I'm a private person, she tilted her head. Well, so am I. Sometimes it's nice to get to know someone. So that was part of chapter one, book one, back to one. Well, now, wasn't that an interesting encounter for the first meeting of our heroes? It goes on from there and becomes quite exciting and quite interesting how this relationship develops. Now, here's a sample of Back to One, Take Two, Ambient Light. It actually falls within the middle of the story, so you'll get a perspective of where this is. Oakley followed Kate to the beach, his tail no longer wagging. The ocean was violent, deafening waves fueled by an unexpected storm. Numb and exhausted, Kate moved closer to the water's edge, entranced by the power of the swell, her mind matching its fury. Kate's breathing turned shallow and fast, her pain becoming a force within itself, bursting out with uncontrollable anger. She screamed at the sea, the sky, the helplessness. Falling to her knees, she barely noticed the punishment of the surging tide. And still she screamed. Oakley crept up behind her, tail between his legs, body drenched, mind uncertain, his instinct to protect her. Exciting and curious, right? It's a development of their story, a development of their relationship, and some exciting and rather dangerous things occur in book two, Ambient Light. Finally, a sample from book three, back to one, take three, Cinema Verite. It's about three quarters through the story. The beach house was bursting with activity. Police, investigators, supportive friends, and loved ones. Everyone intensely engaged in loud, huddled discussions. No group paying attention to the other. Standing near the front entrance, the boys were talking to Edward, George, and a detective. Kate crept unseen to the living room chair where George's coat was slung. Glancing around to make sure no one was looking, she reached inside the coat and carefully slid George's gun from its harness. The weight of the loaded weapon was surprisingly heavy, which made hiding it under her jacket draped over her arm awkward. Taking a hesitant breath, Kate knew the first stage of her mission was accomplished. Now she could kill him. The next step was the tricky part, escaping the house unnoticed. George caught sight of Kate heading to the kitchen and rushed to her. I thought you were going to try to rest. I was just straightening up, George. But could you do me a favor? I think I forgot the echo dot on the deck. Would you please get it for me while I hang my jacket in the bedroom closet? Kate lifted her arm to show her folded coat. Certainly. He turned and walked out onto the deck. As everyone remained preoccupied with their strategies, Kate quickly slipped out the kitchen door, which led to the garage and the outside world. She ran to her car and sped down the hill. Suspenseful, isn't it? Fans of the series usually get a wee bit nervous when they read this excerpt for book number three. I know you will delight in the series of friendship, love, danger, and suspense. In closing... I'd like to invite all my listeners and hopefully future readers to visit my website at www 
dot Antonia Gavrielle.com. Remember that's spelled A N T O N I A G A V like in victory R I H E L.com. There you'll find the background of how this series was developed, a breakdown of each novel thus far, and Spotify playlists for each book. Follow along with Spotify as the tunes are mentioned in each book. I call it my soundtrack to the novels. Most importantly, you'll find a link to all the major booksellers to purchase each book. These novels are fabulous vacation, sit by the pool, lake, or beach reads. I call them refreshing and yet invigorating mind candy. Back to One and the Back to One series of books is the most enjoyable reading time. Get the series today. Thank you so much for listening. Again, this is Antonia Gavriel, author of Back to One and the Back to One series of novels. Thank you. For more information about the RV Book Fair 2023 and to discover the works of Kelly, Jeremiah, and Antonia, visit our website at www.relatable-media.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time.